So stand with me and let's read from Romans 8, 31 through 39. And I know we know it because these is, this is one of those that we know. For, for some of us, when we go through difficult times, this passage is the hope that we need. What then are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not withhold his own son, but gave him up for all of us, will he not with him also give us everything else? Who will bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? It is Jesus Christ who died, yes, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed intercedes for us. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will hardship or distress or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword. As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Father, we thank you for this morning, and we thank you for this time to be together as brothers and sisters. And Lord, I pray our hearts and minds are open, and that your Spirit may fill us and transform us more into your image. It's in your Son's name we pray. Amen. In, in reading this text, the, 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 the one person I came back to to help me out with some kind of idea here was was Fred Rogers, because why not Mr. Rogers? Fred Rogers, in a commencement speech at Carnegie Mellon University, expounded in his speech upon a quote he had given to a friend a few weeks earlier. And this was his quote. I think that how we were first loved, or not, has a great deal to do with what we create and how. He goes on in this uh, commencement speech in Carnegie Mellon as he expounds on this, and, and Roger says this, there are those of us who have been deprived of human confidence, those who have not been able to develop the conviction that they have anything of value within. Their gap is rather a chasm, and they, oft, and they most often despair of creating any bridges to the land of what might be. They were not accepted as little children. They were not truly loved by any important human other. And so it seems to me that the most essential element in the development of any creation, any art or science, must be love. A love that begins with the simple expressions of care for a little child. As Mr. Rogers was speaking, he burst into song. A familiar song. It's you I like. And as he began to sing... The rest of the students at Carnegie Mellon began to sing with him. It's you I like. It's not the things you wear. It's not the way you do your hair. But it's you I like. The way you are right now. The way down deep inside you. Not the things that hide you. And he says, not your degrees. They're just beside you. But it's you I like. Every part of you. Your skin, your eyes, your feelings, whether old or new, I hope that you'll remember, even when you're feeling blue, that it's you I like. It's you, yourself. It's you. It's you I like. And then Rogers finished with this. For the child and all, this is for the child and all of us. 
that part of us which longs to help in the creation of a new and better world. Our reading today in the last part of Romans 8 has brought us comfort and hope and has brought comfort and hope to countless Christians throughout the centuries. And here in this last part, Paul kind of doubles down on the statement he made at the beginning of the chapter in Romans 8 when he says, there is now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. And I think that's what all of us want, is it not? We want to know that we are loved. And better yet, that there's nothing that we could do that would cause us not to be loved. I think that's all of us deep down, to know that we're loved. But not only to know that we're loved, to know that that love is so deep and so passionate and so giving that there's nothing we can do that would separate us from that love. Because that's a big deal. And I know as I was reading it, and I know with Mr. Rogers, it can be very pie in the sky. And, and even, to be honest with you, it can sound like a bad Hallmark movie. But deep down in all of us, it's the truth we want to believe that someone, anyone, is on your side. That no matter what, there will be someone who will always be for you. Someone who will have your back no matter what. Because you see, we are shaped by how we are loved and by the truth of that love. Our worldview, how we see and experience the world and how we see and experience others in relationship is translated by that love we experience or that we haven't experienced. All of that that we've experienced creates this worldview, how we see things, how we understand things, how we listen to people. And I've said this statement many times, partly and mostly because I believe it, and it's not some new kind of innovative statement, it's not something that I came up with, but it always helps put into perspective for me people's actions. And the simple fact is this, hurt people hurt people. Hurt people hurt people. And I think we get that, do we not? We get that. Some of us in here have been hurt by the person's hurt. We've been hurt by someone else's hurt, right? Whatever this a certain person has gone through in their perspective, it gets projected onto us as well. We've all been hurt by someone, and it's kind of based off that other's hurt. Many of us have hurt people because of our own hurt that we've experienced. We've done things to people based on the experiences of, of love and relationships. And we've projected onto people certain things. Whatever we experienced is how we then interact with others and the world. If trust was the issue, then those trust issues follow us. If relationship and love were based on some form of transaction or quid pro quo then that is how we see other relationships, transactional and quid pro quo. We've all been part of those. Someone uses you up just enough to get everything they need from you, and then they're done with you. It's this whole phenomenon, which I've never really understood, of ghosting. Maybe you've heard of it. When people all of a sudden who you know just stop you stop hearing from them. They just, they just drop you, and you've never seen, you never hear from them again. And the, and the term is ghosting, but it's just almost this idea of 
the person that you were with got everything out of you that they needed and they no longer need you. And so the best way to handle the relationship is never to talk to you again. To act as, if you, uh, act as if they've never been around and you've never been around. And whether we admit it or not, our relationship with God can be based off of these views. If we fear God, and what I mean is, if we fear a God that is looking for our demise, and I've said this so many times, if we fear a God that we think is looking for our demise, if we fear a God that is, we think in our mind, transactional-based, you know what I'm talking about, we've heard it from people, I just hope I'm good enough. And that word enough, when you hear it from people, I just hope I'm good enough, that word enough is doing a lot of the heavy lifting in that conversation. That word enough is doing a lot of the heavy lifting when it comes to relationship with God. Like, I hope I've done enough for God to like me. I hope I've done enough for God to love me. I hope I've done all the right steps and all the right rules to make sure that God loves me. And if that's how we think we are loved by God, And if that's been informed by others, if that's how our theology, this idea of how we know God, is formed by that kind of idea, what happens is also the sociology of our life, how we form relationships and how we form these structures, what happens is all of that is what gets bundled in. So we have this view of God that either God is working towards our demise, you know, I've said this, just got the eraser out, looking forward to erasing your name. Or if we think that we have to make sure we cross every T and dot every I. And if we do, then God will love us. And if that's our theology, then what happens is our sociology, how we form relationships, how we form our relationship structures, how we form communities like this, also kind of looks that way. And in the first eight chapters of Romans, Paul is working through the significance of the Christ event, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, and and how that, that Christ event works in our lives and informs our life. How does the life of Christ, significantly the death and resurrection of Christ, inform how we live our life now? What is God up to in this? is what kind of Paul is answering in these eight chapters. And he's pushing against these ideas that, that, that God is, that there's this like rules-based God, which he's talking to his Jewish brothers and sisters there as we've read this, right? You can't be good enough. It can never be. If it's all based on you, then there's going to be problems. That's why Jesus, and he, only, he speaks of this, Jesus was the way. Jesus made it to where you could see that you have always been good enough. That God has never been working towards your demise, but has always been working towards your success. And towards you being a a better person. And all of this comes into a crescendo in our reading as as we begin in Romans 8, 31. What can we say about what God has and is doing in Christ? So what can we say about all these things, Paul asked? What can we say about our standing before a perfect God? What can we say about God's righteousness and grace? What can we say about God's love, Paul is saying? Well, in all of this, in these rhetorical questions, Paul sums it up. Saul sums it up in this this last part of of Romans 8.31 when he says, If God is for us, then who can be against us? And I have been trying to work you through this process to say that God has never been against you. He has always been working for you. And don't you see it in the life of Christ? 
That, that Romans 2, where Paul talks about God's wrath and God's impending wrath upon humanity that had gone wayward with its creator, that, that this is the biggest threat to condemnation, is God's wrath. Knowing this reality can be a sobering thought for all of us. Sin and death, as Paul has been talking about, kind of trade in this Romans 2 reality of God's wrath. It trades in this reality heavy in our lives. It causes us to do and say things otherwise that we might not do, as Paul has been talking about. And why is that? It's because of fear. It's fear that we talked about last week and on Easter Sunday that keeps us from flying. It's failure and disappointment and shame that, that are the big motivators individually and corporately that cause us to do nothing. And it's all based on this idea of the wrath of God. The condemnation of God in your life. And yet, however, all of this, Paul lets us know rather emphatically in this text and over the next nine verses that God doesn't transact this way with God's creation. God doesn't say, be nice or you get my wrath. He actually doesn't say that. We put those words into God's mouth. God is the very author of the story that Paul has been talking about, and we witness God's love and righteousness towards us in the person of Jesus Christ, as he said in verse 32. He did not withhold his own son. He did not withhold his own son, which is, by the way, hearkening back for some of the Jews to Abraham, right? Abraham and Isaac. But this is what Paul says, he who did not withhold his own son, but gave him up for all of us. Will he not with him also give us everything else? In Christ, we find just how much God loves us. We have just find out just how much God wants us and takes care of us. In Christ, we find out how far he's willing to go for his chosen ones, as we read in 831, God's elect. And in the story and person of Christ, we find our hope and our identity and our very being. The only one who could find fault with humanity the only one who can bring charges against us is the one who gave his life for us. Nobody else can bring charges against you. Oh, sure, we try. We do. We do it to one another all the time. We point fingers, and we try to do that, but, you know, sticks and stones. We try to rationalize it out. But here Paul says, the one person, the one person who can bring charges against you is the one who died for you. And it's through this death that you are justified, the only one who could do it. And God undergoes the deepest humiliation possible for the sake of our salvation. Last week, the deepest humiliation possible, death on a cross for the sake of our salvation. God's faithfulness towards us, each of us is embodied in Jesus. Brian Zahn says it this way, on the cross, Jesus does not save us from God. On the cross, Jesus reveals God as Savior. This whole Trinitarian thing, you know, Jesus is God, God is Jesus, Jesus is fully human and fully God, and Brian Zahn, I think, says it best. It doesn't save us from God. What we get revealed on the cross is how much God loves us, how much God desires us, that God is our hope, that God is our justifier. The one who can bring charges against us does not, and in fact, Jesus does the opposite. I mean, most of us in here, if we had any, if, if we'd have done anything half of what Jesus did for somebody, would we not want a little payback? Would we not just constantly remind our friend, hey, do you remember what I did for you? I mean, I don't want to remind you. My, my, favorite, my wife's favorite Christmas movie is White Christmas. 
We watch it a lot. And in 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 White Christmas, you have Bing Crosby, Bing Crosby, and Danny Kay. Danny Kay, is that right? Did I get that right? Someone knows this better than I do. My wife's not; she's at work, so she can't tell me. I'll hear about it in a little while. But in the movie, Danny Kay saves Bing Crosby from you know the fallen. If you've ever watched the movie, it it looks terrible, okay? But the fallen building, right? And and from that point on, everything they do is based, their relationship is based on that one salvation moment, which Danny Kay saved Bing Crosby. And for the rest of the movie, Danny Kay reminds Bing Crosby of him being saved. Everything they do from there on out, he looks at his arm and goes, Oh, remember I hurt my arm. That's us, folks. If we did half of what Jesus did for anybody, if we help anybody out just a little bit, we're going to constantly remind them of what we did for them. And maybe there's payback in that. But not here. Not in this story. Paul says we do not stand condemned. And in fact, the very one who died for us advocates for us. Who intercedes for us. Jesus is... In one theologian's words, the reminder, the whisper, if necessary, that everything has been taken care of. Here in Jesus, the embodiment of life right with God, it's a life in which we all have been included. We are included in this life, not excluded. We are welcomed with God's outstretched arms towards us. God's love for us, Christ's love for us, as Paul says here, is never in doubt. And oh, to feel a love that's never in doubt. How can that make you live? How can that change the way you live? How can that change the way you see the world? To know that you are never not loved. And that you've always been wanted for exactly who you are today. It's never in doubt. And doubt is an easy thing. It's easy to doubt, especially when life gets hard and begins to press down upon you. When life gets difficult, it's easy to believe that you have done something wrong. Maybe you think God is punishing you for something you did in the past. Or I don't know, uh, you haven't had enough faith or something. It's easy to be trapped in this kind of doom loop of condemnation. It's easy to think that love only goes so far. If you've only known what I did, God, if, if, you've only, if you only knew my past... We see that to ourselves, and it becomes this doom loop of life in which we can never be fully loved. We can never be who we are. God can never see us in a way other than how I see myself or how somebody else sees me. So for some of us, it becomes a way of life. We deserve whatever comes to us because it's what we've done in life. We believe the lie that we're unlovable, and that perspective, that worldview on life is everything when the pain and the difficulties and the suffering enters. If love has been transactional and judgmental and fleeting, then these kind of pressures take on the heaviness of condemnation. We believe we're being punished for something we did, we did in the past or something that, I don't know, we're going to do. Hardships become a tool from God for punishment or displeasure in us. I was reminded of this quote by my favorite theologian, Luke Timothy Johnson. He says this, external circumstances do not determine a person's destiny. But it is the person's free decision as to what such circumstances signify, circumstances signify that define the self. Circumstances can be experienced quite differently depending on perspective. 
If you think that God's love is transactional, then the sufferings and the hardships that you face will feel like punishment from God. I deserve them. But if you know that you are enveloped in the love of God that is never failing and that does not condemn you, then sufferings and hardships are just a part of life. And the beauty of it is, is it's not being, we're not being condemned. What Paul says here in a minute is all of those things are nothing in comparison to the love of God. That all of those things, remember the one who intercedes for you, is the very one who hung on a cross and died, who understands what it is to suffer. Paul's perspective, perspective rooted in the love of God and the love of Christ through the death and resurrection affirms what Paul says now in, ver- in, verses eight, in verse 35. These circumstances and experiences can shake anyone to the core as we read it. Hardships, distress, persecution, famine. They are life-threatening. They are life-altering experiences. That would cause any of us to rethink and reevaluate God's love, but not Paul. In Christ, these circumstances can be overcome and have been conquered. Have been conquered, not can be conquered, have been. God's love goes beyond both physical and cosmic powers that push against us. The dramatic list that he puts in Romans 8, 37 through 39, that just continues to go on, is meant to tell us our future, no matter what happens, is secured in God's love as we witness the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. We are part of a new family, a new creation, a new perspective, a love that we can root into the eternal, the present, powerful, and self-sacrificing Christ. With that perspective and God on our side, then we can do anything. We can survive anything that the world brings to us. And don't you think others should encounter this as well? Or we can just live in the Easter hangover and say, well, in another year, I'll feel good again. Or We can read what Paul says and take it seriously. That there is nothing that can separate you from the love of God. And if that's the love that you can root yourself in, then your worldview can change. Then your perspective can change. And you can see things so much clearer. It's as if Paul has been working his way to this point. To say, in Christ, understand, God has always been for you. And don't you think others should experience that grace as well? Because we got people in this world, we have neighbors that we know, who are rooted in a perspective of transactions, are rooted in a perspective of demise, are rooted in a perspective of everybody's against me and nobody's for me. What would it be like for them to encounter a love that says, I am for you. How can I walk with you? If we all feel that way, I figure others should. Don't you?
If you have any needs this morning, if you have any, if you're struggling, if you need prayer requests, we have, I'll have an elder up front. We have people next to you who will pray with you as well. But come now as we stand, as we sing.